Hello, and welcome to the Development Debrief with Katherine Van Zippel, the stories-based podcast that interviews professionals, donors, and thought leaders in the field of fundraising. This week, we learn from Josh Scher about JELF, Jewish Educational Loan Fund. JELF helps Jewish students earn their degrees through interest-free loans. Josh talks about moving to JELF from higher ed and ways he has grown the organization through data organization, storytelling, and educating recipients about their loans. Josh Scher is JELF's Chief Development Officer. Prior to working at JELF, Josh worked in university development and alumni relations at New York University and with the fundraising team of the 92nd Street Y. Before beginning a career in nonprofit fundraising, Josh worked as a legal assistant at some of New York's top law firms. Josh received his MPA, Nonprofit Management, from NYU Wagner in 2015, and his BA, History, from Binghamton University in 2006. I think you're going to like what Josh has to say. Let's get started. Josh, welcome to The Debrief. Catherine, thank you so much for having me. Talking to us from Atlanta today? You got it. I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. How was moving from New York City to Atlanta, Georgia? It was great. The best part was that I had about a six-month vacation in between leaving NYU and starting at my nonprofit that I work for. So I had a six-month fun employment to get a dog, to get to know the city. That was great. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, it's a, it's a totally different world out there, right? Yes, it's a different culture. People don't have a, su- such sharp elbows down here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I believe that. So you're currently at Jelf. And you've already been promoted. So I want to talk about that and start with congratulating you on your promotion from Director of Development to Chief Development Officer. So tell us about JELF and what you're working on right now. Sure, sure. I can give you a little bit of background about JELF. And so JELF stands for Jewish Educational Loan Fund. We give out interest-free loans for higher education. And that is restricted to the five states in the Southeast that we cover. So we help students that are from Virginia down the coast, pretty much as our region. It's Virginia, both of the Carolinas, Georgia and Florida. And if you um, meet our qualifications in those five states and are going to college or graduate school, um, we're here to help. And so what we do is we give out last dollar interest-free loans. So basically, if you're going to go from Miami and you got into even in-state to UF up in Gainesville, um, it's going to cost you in-state maybe 25 grand. For whatever reason, you've put together a package of 20. That's where we come in and we give the gap loan. The loans that we give out are on average about $5,000 per student. Um, We've been doing this for many, many years, decades. And this year we are giving out $1.8 million of these loans to about 400 students. Wow. So you're almost the donor in a way. It's very cool that we are effectively, yes, we're giving money away. We are philanthropists (laughs) because we are a conduit for the donors though. And so that's really, we try to, we have a lot of transparency here. We show our donors where their money's going through our data, through as many student stories as possible. And we only do one thing. This is our only program. So we are really laser focused in our, in our operation and and all the work that we're doing. Do you get the chance to meet the recipients of the aid? Yes. That's the, that's the highlight of my job. Um, 
I, when I used to work at NYU in, in uh, their alumni organization, I would meet alumni from NYU. Now I meet alumni from hundreds of different universities all across the country. Um, and they say, you know, thanks for putting me through UF or NYU or Cornell or Tulane or UGA. I mean, we helped last year, the 400 kids we helped last year went to 180 different universities. And so it's a lot of schools that we can have on our radar. It's great. Yeah, that's amazing. So I know that you've made a lot of changes since coming, especially because you had some of that really, really solid higher ed experience and you were able to bring in some best practices. So tell us what you've worked on changing and improving. Sure. And, and I can just give a little bit of history that that GELF is an organization that has evolved quite a bit over time. So we're in a different stage in 2021, even from when I started in 2015. But uh, just to back up a little bit further, we actually started out in the year 1889 as an orphanage. And so the orphanage wow. in the late 19th century, the orphanage movement uh, was, was very popular. Um, and so Atlanta won a contest to build an orphanage for the Southeast for Jewish orphans in the Southeast. And so the orphanage was there for many decades uh, in the Great Depression. They kind of had to evolve out of that movement into social services, foster placement kind of a service. Um, and the funds when they sold the building of the orphanage were used to help those students, help those, um, sorry, help those children, those, those Jewish youth. And so we evolved yet again after that thing, we helped a lot of these um, former orphans that were now helping with foster placement with getting them through college and doing it through interest-free lending. And so that kind of evolution um, is, is, we basically just realized that was a sustainable model. And we've been doing, we've been doing that only since the 60s. And so to answer your question though, <laughs> when I started in 2015, I walked into a room that was all paper files and our alumni records oh from 1961 till 2015 were pretty much mostly paper. And so clicking a button to see how many kids that we ever helped out go to University of Chicago did not exist. And so um, all of that history that we have is incredible, but when you can't organize it in a logical way, it's very difficult to kind of move forward, talk to your former beneficiaries, really synthesize your data. Um, and so we spent quite a bit of time working with some interns that helped to get that all in our CRM, very clean data, you know, manually doing it, reading pieces of paper, finding amazing kind of uh, diamonds in the rough of, of beneficiaries that have been off of our radar for decades, um, it's a little bit of a bummer, but I'm trying to look forward that now it's an opportunity to kind of cultivate them going forward instead of, you know, where you've been the last 45 years since you helped me out. But so it, it, just to answer your question, we have a lot of history that we are constantly reflecting backwards to move forward. Yeah, that is important to know. And it begs the question, are the main number of your donors alums quote unquote of the program or former recipients or how does that break down so the number has increased quite a bit over the last few years we've really kind of injected a lot of energy and enthusiasm into our alumni program um, really getting our heads you know locked in of our former beneficiaries you know they're in very different stages of life you have someone that got our support in 2011 and they paid off their loan maybe last year and they're 31. 
Then you might see someone that got our help in 1972. And there, you know, so, so we have a lot of people of di different ages, different career paths, different times. And so we're trying to think in clusters of how do we engage these individuals differently? It, it's um, our alumni cohort is very different than the university where you had graduating classes, sororities, fraternities, people that remember dorms or experiences in, in orchestras or whatever. We have, you know, ex-students father unfortunately passed away and they, they could not fund their education so they had to come to Jelf. Or, you know, this student's family's restaurant went under in the, you know, uh, financial crisis of 19, the late 1980s. So that's when they came to us. So you have a lot of unique individual experiences that they come to us for. So to build kind of that alumni program around that, it's a little bit more onus on the staff and on the team to really engage folks and get them locked into what we're doing now and how we want them to help us. Mm -hmm. And it's a little bit less of class, you know, year of 2021 fundraising, or right. it's, it's just a different mentality that we've embraced of that, that it's really on us. Right. So it sounds like it's a combination of some people that have been through your program, but also some people that just believe in education for young Jewish people. I mean, yeah, some of our, some of our volunteers have not been former beneficiaries. Quite a bit of our board of directors are people that are just passionate about Jewish education, right. helping folks in the community. Um, a lot of our board members have interesting stories of how they've gotten involved. You know, my college roommate got support from you guys, or my neighbor got help from you guys, or, you know, um, th there's so many amazing stories. Uh, one, of our, one of our board presidents, her uh, father-in-law was actually in the orphanage and was a oh beneficiary decades and decades and decades ago. And so wow. there's, a, there's a lot of history that's involved with, with what we're doing. And it's, it's very cool. So how has the team grown since 2015 and changed? We've learned at JELF that, you know, if we want to move forward with an idea or initiative, we have to have it underwritten. We have to have the financial resources to do so. And so I'm proud to say that with my CEO and, and the board of directors, we've raised good amount of money over the last few years, which has allowed us to increase the size of our staff, increase our budget. Um, having more administrative help is so critical. You know, people that just know your CRM that can really help you when you need to run a report quickly, or I need to figure out, you know, I'm, I'm going to New York. I want to meet an alum that went to Cardoza Law School. Like they can help me with that. And, and you know, I'm traveling, I'm on the road. Can you quickly, you know, just having that um, the whole team thinking with that fundraising hat is so critical. Mm -hmm. You know, when someone picks up the phone, you never know who's calling and really getting the entire team thinking about, you know, as much as we are student focused, we really are donor focused too, because those students wouldn't achieve their goals without the donors. Um, right. And so increasing the size of the team has allowed for that. Um, I'm very fortunate that we have an alumni associate who's really um, sunk her teeth into building an alumni committee, get, getting a newsletter off the ground, which is so, you know, it's something that we've talked about for years, but, you know, former, former recipients, they want to see what other people are doing. And this is that long-term thinking of how do we get... You know, the, the students that are 18 years old, 19 years old right now, if they're going to feel good about JELF as young recipients of our funds, when they, when they pay it off, we want them to really get instilled early on that sense of, wow, this organization was here for me. They were great. They had great design. They were funky. They were fun. They were 
they were energetic um, so that they, we become the number one charity when they become very successful. We want them to, if they owe a lot of gratitude to a specific university, Emory or wherever, wherever under the, the sun, we want them to have that allegiance also to Jelf. And that takes time to build. Um, and so having a, having a bigger team is gonna allow for that. Well, that's the perfect segue into what I was gonna raise next, which is personal stories. And I know you and I had talked about the power of using personal stories in connecting with the community and with potential donors. So tell us how you use personal stories in your work. Uh, I think that's a great question. And when, you, when you're interacting with hundreds of students every year that are beneficiaries, Donors don't want to hear from me. They want to hear from these students. And so um, it's, it's a no-brainer, but having you know, photos and quotes and videos from these students is so important because their, their emotion, their honest and candid stories really are, are critical for the donors to see where their money's going. You know, we, we believe very much in transparency. And so if a donor says, you know, I want this money to go to a student that's at the University of Central Florida in Orlando, and I want to talk to that student, we want to do our best with confidentiality, of course, being the, the priority number one. But once we check our boxes in terms of confidentiality, we want, we want um, donors to understand that their funds are really making an impact. So student, um, <laughs> student stories are critical. Um, and, and really just articulating, you know, we are the conduit for the students to get to the donors. We want to be sure that there's a, they understand, um, the donors understand what students want. And we really don't want to require students to speak to donors. It's not a requirement. We okay. really are not mandating that at all. We try to keep very few strings attached for these students. If we ask a student, we are asking them a huge favor. We recognize that they're working, they're in school, they're studying. I mean, this is probably not the most important thing that rises to the top for them. So we encourage them that this is a great way to give back. It's, a, it's important, but it's also not mandated. Um, mm -hmm. So we really try to be very candid that with these students and not, you know, if they, if they say no, we're not going to then, you know, um, punish them. There's, no, there's nothing down there. It's, it's not really connected in that regard. So knowing that students aren't always necessarily interacting with donors, what are other ways that you, you, that you steward your donors um, outside of connecting them to the students? Sure, we, we believe thanking our donors is, is very critical. Um, beyond just our normal you know, acknowledgement letters, um, we send our donors you know, our big, beautiful annual reports every single year, um, and that's important. It's a great touch point. Um, and then frankly, we pick up the phone, we say thank you. We write right here, you could even see I'm holding it up. We write, um, it's the Jewish New Year in, in, a, in a week. We're wishing our donors happy Jewish New Year. Um, sending a random card is nice. It's funny, we, we really wanna have very awesome pieces that jump out at you that make you say, wow, that's really cool. Knowing that it's, it, it might end up in the trash. And in those few seconds where someone's looking at it and feeling good on the way to the, the, the wastebasket, um, they're going to feel good about your organization. And so we just want to really continue to kind of um, have quality be the name of the game in all of these touch points. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, when we talk about stewardship, you know, um, it's important that we, it's not just the staff calling, sometimes board members are calling, you know, if a donor gives because a board member made the ask, we're going to tell that board member and they're going to help us with the thanking, with the cultivation, because it is a real team effort. 
Um, we're very lucky that we've got so many incredible board members and volunteers that really help us with our fundraising, with picking up the phone and, and making that ask. And so when the money comes in, we have to, you know, it's, an, it's a way to show them our gratitude when we tell them that information. Right. I know. I always, I've talked about this before of identifying who's the right person to ask and thank and how do you make those determinations? Well, <laughs> the, the, the easiest part is when someone says, I know Joe Schmo, I will call them. Don't worry, I've got that. The hard part is when you have to kind of look at, you know, oh, look at these uh, event photos from 2017. Oh, I see this table and they were all sitting around. You know, I wonder if they can maybe make the ask. You know, doing a little bit of research can go a long way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm a big believer of playing the LinkedIn game or the Facebook game because you just yeah. never know. And um, being, you know, doing as much due diligence as possible, but also checking our records. Um, if someone made a gift, you know, 12 years ago in honor of a board member, that board member likely knows that donor. You know, thinking like that can avoid, we don't want to ask our board members for too many favors all the time. So right. the more research we can do internally to, to prepare, it's, it's a nice way of um, really knowing and, and leaning on the CRM. All that data is there for a reason. Yeah, and is your board also in the Southeast or is your board all over the U.S.? So the vast majority of our board is, is in Atlanta. Uh, okay. We do have a couple of board members that are elsewhere in the Southeast. Some people are in Florida, some are in the Carolinas. Um, but we really have found that because we're helping residents of the Southeast go to college and grad school, that local donors from those communities is, is really, that's who's going to want to get involved. Um, we do have donors and supporters from all across the country in, you know, in the Northeast, in Chicago, yeah. you know, everywhere. But in terms of real volunteer lay leader engagement, it's the Southeast for sure. Okay. And with all of the changes in the last 18 months, what do you think has changed Jelf the most? Well, aside think, from Zoom, because that's new, that's the easy answer. <laughs> you know, Zoom, I mean, Zoom is um, Zoom is everything, but I've seen um, we've really, we've always been a well-oiled machine in terms of how the board meets in terms of how we disperse our loans and our allocation committees. But when you do it over Zoom, not only do we really see that we've increased our attendance of nearly all of our meetings, um, but we really can see more engagement. And I I'm seeing that when you have folks that tune in, they're, they're, they're multitasking not as much as I would think they were. And they're paying attention, they're engaged, um, they're tuning in and they're giving their feedback. And I think it's almost a little bit easier because right now we could have board meetings with folks in Florida and Charlotte and Atlanta. And you're not, you know, previously we would have all the Atlanta people in a physical room and then have a huge conference call and there would be audio and it would sound weird. And it's almost leveled the playing field from a, from a volunteer engagement angle. Um, yeah. It's also frankly saved us quite a bit of uh, resources to not have to physically travel to present to different foundations or different Jewish federations. Um, it's allowed us to meet with individual donors one-on-one -on -one in a very concise way that where you don't have to get on a plane, rent a hotel, rent a car. I mean, we're, we've really seen that last year we were able to shrink our budget a little bit. Um, and, and I'm really... Yeah. It's, I'm, I'm very fortunate that we've got a very smart finance committee that has really 
um, helped us kick the tires on keeping our budget lean, on paying attention to the cash flow. Um, and, and it's really been, an, it's been a good overall. COVID has, we, we had a relatively, I don't wanna say good, but we, we managed to fare okay from a budget angle. Um, the, the real challenge for us was last year, we just saw a huge uptick of student demand of mm -hmm, students right. that just, you know, for there was just a lot more students that needed our help than ever before because of COVID. So your point about travel, yes. do you, so yes, it's great that your budget was able to shrink, but what are you thinking for this year? Will you travel for a big ask? What will you keep and what will you go so back to? We, I've actually, I went with my CEO on our first in-person trip. We went to South Florida to meet with some, okay. um, some great individuals. And we met folks mostly outside, you mm -hmm. know, thinking with about COVID safety. Um, some folks were not comfortable. They said, you know, let's just meet over Zoom or try again in a few months. Um, and I, I, I'm actually surprised that it was a pretty successful trip in that people, people are kind of hungry for in-person get-togethers. Mm -hmm. I've seen that while people are, there's a little bit of uh, fear and in the, in the unknown of, of Delta variant and, and COVID, um, people, people want to connect, they want to chat. And, you That's know, outdoors face-to-face -face is great. Okay, so there is still a lot of value in doing that. I, we've seen that the value in doing that, I'll be very candid. If you have someone that knows you that you pick up the phone every year and they'll give you a contribution, I don't know if they need to meet you for a cup of coffee. I think the value is if you've never met someone before mm -hmm. or you haven't seen them in a long, long, long time, it's a really great way to kind of start anew, start afresh when you're face-to-face -face mm -hmm. with people. I just, I think that Zoom has provided such incredible value on reconnecting, catching people up, keeping people in the loop, having meetings that are planned. But when you're starting brand new, fresh, it's a little bit difficult. Yeah, I agree. It's a very different dynamic on Zoom when you have an established relationship. Right. There's just that comfort level. That, Absolutely. You can be, you trust. can almost be, exactly. And we've seen that. Um, having said that, we've met with a couple of brand new prospects over Zoom also. So you, you never know. Yeah. Just like everything, it depends on the person. But totally. I am glad to hear that you were able to do that. And I've been hearing a couple of other people starting to dip their toe into in-person and, and yeah. it's happening. So that's good. Yes. Slowly, but surely. So timing is everything as we know in development. And you and I were chatting about your work and you told me the story that I thought the debrief listeners absolutely had to hear which was a recent meeting you had with a prospective donor who had just made a commitment somewhere else. So tell us the story and then we can kind of unpack it. Sure. It was going back to that story I said when I, when I um, first started at the organization and everything wasn't digitized, we discovered um, that we helped somebody in the 80s go to Wharton in, at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, this individual is now a very successful person in finance. When I connected with this individual, they said, you know, uh, where have you been? <laughs> I actually just endowed uh, a scholarship at the university and I, I don't have any leftover for GELF right now. And I'm really sorry. Um, and it's, and so a lot of lessons were there. Um, yeah, first of all, what did, was it in person and what did you say to that? It was in person over coffee in Manhattan. Okay. I met this person 
three or four years ago. Okay. So after a lot of um, updating, refreshing, because because the, the challenge is, is that because folks got support from us, the way that we work, I'm just going to be very brief, but the way that we give out our money, we, we have a qualitative and a quantitative application. So in addition to giving us your finances and showing us your whole financial background, we require our students to meet with a social worker where they grew up. So if you're from Tampa, you're going to meet a social worker in Tampa. If you're from Miami, you'll meet someone from Miami. They write a little report and they send it back to us. What often happens is when you have people that have gotten our support decades and decades ago, they think that the money that they got was from that person in Miami or in Tampa or in Charlotte, that it didn't funnel back to the central office here in Atlanta. So we were not hammering home for decades. It was really Jelf that helped, Jelf that got you. Jelf helped you. The funds came from Atlanta to the system that we have set up in Miami. And so this kind of harkens back to the person that I met in New York, the alum, who really didn't remember how it happened. And they said, you know, I went to Wharton a long time ago. I was putting together a financial package from every angle. I got a grant here. I got a scholarship there. My mom, through the, through the synagogue, through the rabbi, found out about Jelf, I guess. And you guys gave me money and I paid it back. So thanks a lot. And it's a lot of lessons of, we didn't do a great job of hammering home that the, this check that you're getting is from Jelf. Like, wow, we are, Jelf, the Jewish community is here for you. We got your back. We are the aunt, the uncle, the grandparent that you did not have. Like mm-hmm. we have, we have, we were not as punchy about that. Um, and I think it was just, you know, the different time, different era, and we can maybe be a little bit more bold now. Um, mm-hmm. So I tried to explain that to this individual when I met with them and, and, uh, you know, all it's like sudden, all the air is coming out of the balloon. Like I've right. heard that before, like yeah. I just made a big commitment and you're like, no. <laughs> and, and it was, um, listen, the best part of the story is this person made a contribution and we don't really care if it's north, as long as it's north of zero, the goal is that it will build and build and we will cultivate and show them where the money's going. Um, and I'm proud to say that this person has increased their support since. And so- So they, they've increased their contribution since- They've increased that. their contribution. And you know, it's also just, I, I'm not gonna get, I'm, I'm not disappointed or upset because we've learned so many lessons in those few years of mm-hmm. what we, you know, when someone pays off their loan right now, we, we have like, we, sh- we are over the moon. We try to make these students, when they pay back their loan to us in full, feel like a million bucks. Like they have achieved so much by paying this off. Um, and, and I feel like we really weren't making maybe as big of a deal about it. We were sending them a letter beforehand. Now- Wait, so it's not pure aid. It, it's, they're borrowing. The, so the dollars we're giving are loans. They carry no interest in the Jewish religion the highest form of sadaka, which is the, the, the word for charity in Hebrew, the, hot, the best way you can give charity is by giving somebody a loan that doesn't have any interest attached. Because basically you're just okay. lending them money and they're going to get it back to you. No strings attached. It's so pure. It's pure. It's a loan. It's not a scholarship. It's a loan. And so okay. that's sort of the difference here is that, you know, scholarship programs where, or grant programs, they just give someone money and they say, have fun, good luck it's on us to stay in touch with these students for the entire of their entirety of their education. And then when they get on with their lives and get their jobs out of college, we need to be in touch with them. You know, when someone moves, you know, they got their, I mean, we follow students all across the world. Someone grew up in Miami, 
They got into, you know, the University of Washington, St. Louis. Then they got a job in Boston. They paid us back a few years in Boston, but then they got a job in San Francisco. Well, we need to stay in touch with them because we want, you know, if they borrowed five grand every year from us for undergrad and then for three years of business school or, or law school or whatever, that's a big balance that we, you know, we can't let that money run away because that's important that we get that back so we can give it to the next student. That's the way our fund operates. I see. So when a the huge, donors a huge part get... of our cash, a huge part of our cash flow is student loan repayments every single year. So when the donors give, the idea is they're able to, you're able to give more loans out. Exactly. The, the okay. truth is, is that this year we gave out $1.8 million to students from the fund. We're not going to see that $1.8 million back for a long time. <laughs> students right. have students have to finish all of their education and then they have eight months eight years to pay us back so if we're giving someone money and they're a freshman in college and then they're going to go to medical school that's eight years of an education plus eight years to repay so we're not going to see that money back for 17 years that's where donors are critical because they're going to help us inject more money right now so we can get the funds to the kids next year and it's a big cycle and I'm proud that every year we've, we've refined our student loan repayments. Um, we got back about $700,000 last year from the students, which is a lot of money. Yeah. So that plus our fundraising is how we can do it all, how we can have our operations, how we can, um, and then the money to loan. And is the primary mode of giving to be supporting the loans or do people give to your operating budget and other things as well? So we really, um, it's, it's, that's a great question. Uh, the vast majority of our donors want to help students. Um, mm -hmm. the, the, the dollars are going to the kids. And yeah. we, we, you know, I think the, the percentage is something like 20%, 19% of every dollar is going to or, towards overhead. The vast majority of every dollar is going to the students. Um, having said that, we do have some donors, including a very large foundation that cares about infrastructure and operations and that the money is not to the students, but to the behind the scenes, you know, keeping the lights on to really support our program, paying for the, the application, the CRM, a lot of our design budget. I mean, and that's incredible. When you could, you know, this is sort of like, it's, it's like manna from heaven, they say. When you can find dollars that are restricted to overhead and infrastructure, it's incredible. We're, we're saving so much money and, it, and what's great is it doesn't hurt the students. It, it really helps the students. It's, it's really, we're over the moon that this opportunity still occurs every year. Is there, is there anything like JELF in other parts of the country or is it really one of its kind? So we are the only organization that does the interest-free lending for higher education for the Jewish students. Uh, we, serve, we serve a lot of different metro areas. We serve Atlanta, Miami, Boca, um, Richmond, Virginia, Charlotte, a lot of a lot of metropolitan areas. What you see across the country is there are other organizations that help with this interest-free lending in the Jewish community. They do a lot of other things. So they help if your home is underwater, if you're you and your spouse are having fertility issues, you know, paying rent, so emergency lending. So the, there are uh, Hebrew free lending is the term. There's a lot of organizations that are metro focused. There's one in San Francisco, in Los Angeles, New York City. Um, in our Southeast region though, there's nobody doing what we do. And we, um, so we, we have these other organizations that are kind of sister organizations, 
um, we're part of this big, larger nonprofit where all the other um, Hebrew free lending organizations talk to each other for strategizing, for comparing, for resources. And it's a good, it's a good group, but we are kind of our own oddball because we serve so many, you know, we serve like three dozen metropolitan, uh, metro communities rather. You have your work cut out for yourself. That's for sure. We do. It's but, quite a bit. But thank you for telling us a bit about your career and really educating us about Jelf. I, I feel like I learned so much today and I know that Jewish philanthropy is incredibly impactful. I'm so happy to have you and to learn more. I would love to end with my signature question, Josh, which is what do you know for sure? Sure. What do you know for sure? I know that in life, you have to be put through the ringer. And whether that's personally or professionally, sometimes you have to go through the difficult, the, the real tough slog through difficult circumstances pays off. I can't tell you all the donor meetings that I've been on where they uh, you know, come at me left, right, and center, and they are challenging and difficult and asking questions that are far above my pay grade. Um, and those difficult questions with donors pays off because I learn the right answers. I ask not just our staff, but maybe board members or other donors the correct answer or the logic behind the answer. Um, but I, I really know that you have to you have to be put through it. You have to, that the best way to, to learn is to just kind of throw yourselves to the wolves. That's the answer. That's what I know for sure. Very good energy going into the fall season and yes. even the new year. So thank you so much. And let's you can't have any fear. Time. No fear. No fear. Thank no. you, Catherine. Thanks for your time. This was great. Thank you. Cool. Thank you for listening and please be in touch via LinkedIn or Instagram at Dev Debrief. would love to connect with you and hear what you might have learned or what taken away from today's conversation. Have a great day.